everybody. Welcome to Data Skeptic. Today on the show, we'll be talking about the Onyx format. It's an open and interchangeable file format for storing deep learning models. Before we get to that, I want to remind all the Data Skeptic members, coming up quick, Sunday, July 28th, 11 a.m. Pacific time. We're going to do a hangout of some kind, and I will shoot you an email later this week. If you don't hear from me, absolutely feel free to reach out directly after. I'm going to give myself till the 25th. If you don't hear from me, by the end of the day, 25th, hit me up just to make sure we haven't screwed up a, a list or something. But everybody should know the details. I'll shoot you an agenda for the kind of stuff I'm going to cover. Most notably, our new theme on Data Skeptic as we wind down natural language processing. This interview is fairly technical, but I think also easily accessible with a little bit of background. So feel free to skip ahead 30 seconds a few times if you're one of the more senior listeners. Otherwise, let me tell you about YOLO, BERT, Protobuf, and a few other things very quickly. So there are a variety of frameworks in which a person can do deep learning. TensorFlow, PyTorch, CAFE, Keras, although that's kind of a special case almost. Things are moving fast in general. And what's been very interesting about the technology is it doesn't seem to me anybody's trying to lock you down. You know, use our proprietary format and our proprietary tools. That's an old model. If I'm, you know, on or near the cutting edge, am I going to build something that some monolithic technology company is then just going to build a way better version of? You know, I work with a lot of companies that built their own quasi-Kubernetes before there was Kubernetes. And now it's this awkward tech debt that uh, they have to work with. Although you do have to give credit to the point of, uh, you know, if it's working, it's working. But that aside, even deployment of classic machine learning is surprisingly not easy. I wouldn't necessarily call it difficult, but you think it would be easier at the time you finish your model. You've run all your diagnostics and you think you're good to go to have some sort of push button, continuous integration, continuous deployment thing. And there's, you know, a dozen or so tools that do that or claim to do that, and your mileage may vary. But hosting deep learning models is especially tricky because they're much bigger. You train a logistic regression model. That model is expressed as a vector of all the weights. Quite compact, probably. Even your biggest sklearn model or XGBoost built in Python. I mean, do a bunch of fancy stuff with ensembling and stacking and really bloat that model. You're still probably only looking at a couple hundred megs, I would guess, most cases, at least my experience. There's lots of easy ways to turn that into an API or embedded or something like that. But at Data Skeptic HQ, we've also been messing around with BERT lately, and we're going to need to do one, maybe even two episodes on BERT. I know, it's coming. Be patient. That'll be our little capstone for this run on natural language processing, I guess. But BERT is a deep learning model. There's two publicly available versions of it, BERT Large and... Is it BERT medium? But you got two sizes, whatever you call them. One, I believe, sits in memory at around 8 gigs, the other around 16, I want to say. So if you want to make that an API or a service, there's a few hoops to jump through to make that happen. And there's some great projects on GitHub, Stand on the Shoulders of Giants and all that. But there's a lot of plumbing here and seems like a lot of techniques in motion. That's why I was glad to have a chance to feature the Onyx format in this interview. While we don't explicitly talk about it in the context of NLP, I would hope if you've learned one thing this series, well, if you've learned one thing, hopefully it's uh, large corpora are more powerful than fancy algorithms. That's sort of the number one NLP lesson. Number two is that deep, unsupervised approaches seem to have quite a bit of value. I guess number three important point is transfer learning. And I'm so glad I got to interview Sebastian Ruder about that. But after all those points, 
Let's talk about how you deploy this stuff. And it's non-trivial, but an interchange format like Onyx gives you a lot of leverage in building it one way and deploying it another, or ambitious people offering services that support it. So those are my thoughts on Onyx and why I like it. So we touch on BERT. As I said, I'll cover BERT in more detail. For now, the five cent explanation is BERT is basically magic. In goes any amount of text, out comes a fixed length numeric vector that is unbelievably useful in natural language processing tasks. As we covered recently, it's essentially a form of automated feature engineering. Okay, moving along, we mentioned YOLO. This, best to see it to believe it, just Google YOLO. If that doesn't work, YOLO ML AI, you guys are smart, figure it out. You've probably seen it. It's a quite impressive real-time object recognition system that can run on all these edge devices, things like, you know, pick, well, I don't know if it runs on a PIC microcontroller, but I think it runs on Arduinos and all kinds of cool stuff like that. And lastly, I flagged Protobuf to talk about. I didn't like Protobuf when I first encountered it. It was a bit forced upon me in a situation where, in retrospect, it wasn't really called for. I build a lot of APIs where we ship around JSON. JSON is the format. I expect most listeners know about it. It's so ubiquitous, some of you might know about it without knowing about it, or not be able to tell the difference between some JSON code and some Python code, because there are many situations in which they're actually the same thing, which is handy. So it's great having a JSON API. You can do some of the requests in your browser as you build stuff. You can have one of these fun Chrome plugins to do your post requests or to become a wizard at curl and do them at the command line. It's quasi-human readable. You can get tools that format it in pretty ways or make it fold up. I love working with JSON. But when, uh, and, and Protobuf, as I understand, it came out of Google. And you can imagine there the scale of what they do means sometimes if you pinch a few pennies, it's uh, rather worth it. So if you think about those JSON APIs, what happens? Well, you've got a programming language that has some object in memory, has to be serialized out to the JSON format. And that's relatively easy. By human standards, it probably processes a single entry very fast. You can't tell the difference between 10 milliseconds and 1,000 milliseconds. I mean, yes, you can, but uh, when it's that fast, we rarely think about the timing of it. But then, yeah, you need to run a bunch of them at scale, and suddenly it's slow or eating up too many resources because essentially you're shipping a string over the wire in ASCII format or UTF-8 or however it is, gets to the other end and uh, there's a process there that has to deserialize it. Turn that string into some JSON code, probably validate it along the way, depending on what language is loading it, convert it into objects. And there's just all a bit of overhead. So protobuf is this neat idea that kind of cuts the fat on that. It does a bunch of fancy things like not passing strings, passing, you know, bytes and being smart about the ordering and stuff like that. So even if you name your variable something long, they're secretly translated into some private ID and that's translated just as an integer then, not a string. So much more efficient and easier to transform on the other end. So pretty cool, good stuff, can be quite annoying if you get bogged down in integration tests, but my thoughts aside, protobuf's neat, and if you're doing high-volume, high-velocity stuff, you ought to be considering if it's a part of your data pipeline. All right, without further ado, let's get into our interview. My name is Prasanth Polavarthi. I work at Microsoft. I lead the product management team for our AI frameworks, which includes Onyx and a bunch of other open-source frameworks that we contribute to. Well, I'm excited to talk about Onyx especially, but can we hit on some of the bullet points of what some of those others are? So we contribute to PyTorch, and mm -hmm. uh, we contribute to uh, TensorFlow as well, and a little bit of scikit-learn. Very neat. You got them all, I guess. 
So for listeners who may not yet know, what is Onyx? So Onyx is a common standard format for machine learning models. It was actually developed by a number of companies in the industry, including Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, NVIDIA, Intel, a whole host of companies um, that put together this standard format for representing deep learning and machine learning models. So you can train your um, machine learning model in TensorFlow or PyTorch or Scikit-Learn or uh, MXNet or Keras, and you can export or convert those into the Onyx format. And that kind of gives you uh, uh, interoperability and portability of your machine learning model. Why would I be interested in some portability of the model? A couple of reasons. One, it helps you pick kind of the right tool for the job. When you're doing training, you want to have certain characteristics in your tool. Flexibility, agility, distributed training, etc. When you want to go deploy that to a production environment, whether it's on the cloud or even on the edge, you're going to be looking for things like high performance, good memory and resource utilization on the device, potentially cross-platform API if you want to deploy to different types of operating systems or different types of platforms. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that deployment use case. I mean, it's an achievement to build a deep learning model for sure. Pat yourself on the back if you get that far. But once you've gotten there, you really have to just do something with it now, whether that's make it an API or put it in a device or what are some of the options people have for making use of the models they train? Yeah, it's always a challenge where you spend a lot of time and energy and effort to create this awesome machine learning model, and then you're trying to figure out, well, how do I deploy it? Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're deploying to the cloud or to a edge device. Um, oftentimes, people will, uh, the, the shortest route for them will be to deploy it as a pickle file. You mm -hmm. just uh, you know package up your Python code in, in a pickle uh, kind of format and then ship it off somewhere. Yep. But that no, doesn't necessarily always work uh, on certain devices. You can't really run that kind of a uh, package. Uh, it may not give you the best performance. There might be security issues with that, etc. Libraries um, that don't match. Yep, versioning issues. Yes. All sorts of all sorts of uh, craziness. So that's where Onyx can help. If you convert or translate your model into the Onyx format, then you can use the Onyx runtime, such as the Microsoft's uh, open source Onyx runtime, uh, to run it on various platforms, whether it's Linux or Mac or uh, uh, Windows, uh, whether it's on the cloud, whether it's on the edge. You deploy that same model in a multitude of places. And the Onyx file itself, is it, uh, well, first of all, is there any reason to look at it under the hood? And if so, what will I find? Like JSON, XML, or what is it yeah, stores? Yeah, so uh, technically speaking, the Onyx file is uh, used as a protobuf format. Mm -hmm. um, so you can actually use a tool, open source tool called Netron that, to visualize the model, and you'll actually see the graph inside of it. So you'll see the different operations. There'll be like a convolution and a, a ReLU or, or uh, you know, different uh, operators that are put together in that graph. Uh, so you can certainly take a look, but mo for the most part, you don't have to. You, you just get the uh, model from uh, a couple of places, so there are different ways to get the model. You can use some of the pre-trained models from the Onyx Model Zoo. You can create a customized model using some services like Azure Custom Vision or uh, Azure Machine Learning Automated ML. Those will output Onyx files mm. for you that are customized for your data. Or you can convert your own model. Like you might have had a data science, you might be a data scientist, or your data scientist team at your company might have created a model. You can convert that, uh, or you can train a model from scratch um, using a service like Azure ML, and basically during the training convert it to Onyx. Comparing the Onyx format to others, I'm thinking of a. Well, I, I may cut out the name, not to be slanderous, but. It was a nice idea, and one of the challenges was when you'd serialize to it, it would really bloat up pretty heavily, um, and that was prohibitive for a lot of people to use PMML in certain cases, especially when models grew in size. 
do we face any similar challenges or has Onyx optimized for those sorts of things? Yeah, we, we did take a look at some of the things that were already out there. Uh, and so Onyx uh, tries to address some of the uh, some of those uh, issues. We don't use XML, we're using protobuf, so it's a binary format. The data in the model is pretty much the same types of data that you would have had in the original model. It's the network topology of your model as well as the weights. So there shouldn't be that much bloat compared to what your original model was. If you want to reduce a model further, you can do things like quantization, of course, to mm -hmm. shrink the size of the weights even further. And what will I find in the Onyx Model Zoo? In the Onyx Model Zoo, today we have a number of models mostly around computer vision, mm -hmm. although we're starting to add uh, some models around other scenarios like natural language processing as well. You'll see our image classification models, you'll see uh, object detection models, some things as simple as MNIST, which is, you know, kind mm -hmm. of a hello world, <laughs> mm -hmm. to think more complex things such as uh, YOLO v3 or SSD. We are working on getting a BERT model put in there as well. And then how do I uh, access that? Is it kind of just, uh, does the analogy GitHub for uh, Onyx, is that Yeah, satisfied? so uh, the, the cool thing about Onyx is everything is open source. Mm -hmm. So if you go to github.com slash Onyx, you'll see uh, a repository for the spec, and you'll see a repository for the models. That's our model zoo. Uh, and then you'll see a repository for the tutorials. So there are a number of tutorials about showing you how to convert models from different places and how to run them in different places. Are there any interesting use cases you can share where people have taken advantage of the format? Onyx kind of came out of a, a need that we had internally at Microsoft. Uh, and then when we talked to other companies, we found that they also had the similar needs. And that's why we all came together and created the Onyx format. At Microsoft, we have multiple teams doing ML. Machine learning is used across our portfolio of products. It's used in Bing, it's used in Office, it's used in like the ink recognition in Windows, it's used all over the place. And different teams use different tools, different frameworks. Some folks are using CNTK, some people are using TensorFlow, some people are using Scikit-Learn. This variety of frameworks causes some problems where they get the, they get, they certainly get the benefits of using the different tools that, they, that are best for their needs, but then we need to be able to operationalize and deploy those models in a way that uh, is highly performant. Uh, and so that's where Onyx and Onyx Runtime uh, help with that. So at Microsoft, uh, we've seen a strong adoption of Onyx Runtime, which is our open source inferencing engine for Onyx models. Uh, and uh, it's being used in products like Bing and Office, even cognitive services. And they're seeing really good performance gains as well. They've seen between like 2 and 14x performance gain compared to the original model. What are my options in terms of deployment at the edge? We are uh, actually able to run Onyx Runtime on a variety of devices. It works on Windows, Linux, Mac. It works with both uh, x86, x x64, and also ARM processors. Uh, it works with both CPU and GPU. Uh, we actually have it running on um, NVIDIA uh, Jetson Nano, mm. uh, which is like the $100 uh, process, uh, board. Uh, it works on uh, some uh, IoT devices that come from Intel. Uh, it works on Raspberry Pis. So it works uh, kind of across this fairly large uh, spectrum of, of devices. You'd mentioned the collaboration on how um, we got to Onyx. I'll call it an industry standard. I don't know if you'd apply the same label or not, but it almost needs to be to be a f format people take interest in. Can you talk about who some of the partners are in that group and um, why we need that to get the format promoted and extended and things like that? Onyx has been a really good collaboration, um, partly because all the companies who signed up for it have actually implemented it in some form or other in their products. Mm, so it's mm -hmm. not just like a paper spec that yeah, everyone yeah. shows up to a committee meeting and says, yeah, this is good, and then does nothing about it. Uh -huh. um, the companies that are part of Onyx have actually implemented it in their products. The original kind of founders, I guess, were uh, Microsoft and uh, Facebook and Amazon. But then we quickly got NVIDIA, Intel, Huawei, uh, Tencent, uh, Baidu, 
uh, a number of companies, uh, MATLAB is involved, a number of hardware startups as well. Uh, if you go to the onyx.ai website, you'll kind of see the full list of partners that have signed up to support Onyx. But it's a fairly wide spectrum, uh, everything from the software uh, vendors to the hardware vendors to mobile vendors to cloud vendors. So it's kind of a pretty broad spectrum. One of the reasons a person might hold out adopting a technology is worried what will it look like in five years? You know, do I want to invest in something and then it becomes the Betamax? Uh, how do you uh, build on Onyx in a way where, you know, I guess tomorrow there could be a great new publication that says replace Relu with some other crazy activation function that uh, for some reason can't be in there. Is that even possible, I guess? Um, how do you put people's fears to rest uh, when they're concerned about the future? Yeah, a couple of things, I guess. One is it's an open format, so it's entirely open source. And uh, if you have some awesome new operator that you want to add, you can always summon a PR and talk to the community mm -hmm. and get it in there. It's not like a closed standard that you don't know how to influence. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is there's some extensibility mechanisms built into uh, the Onyx format itself. Onyx basically consists of a spec that defines uh, how you construct the graph or how you define the graph in the model. And it contains a list of operators that are kind of standard, that are part of the, the spec. You can always add new operators to that list of ones that we already support. Uh, we also have a concept of domains, where you can have your own custom operators in your own domain uh, to try it out, for mm -hmm. example, while, while you're waiting for it to become part of the standard domain. There are these different extensibility mechanisms that allow you to never be blocked by uh, something not being in the Onyx spec. You can either extend it by contributing a PR, or you can extend it temporarily you know, in, in your own custom usage and then uh, push it into the standard. If you want to get started with Onyx, mm -hmm. uh, you can go check out our URL for the Onyx runtime, uh, which is actually aka.ms slash Onyx runtime. And that goes to a page that talks a, a little bit about Onyx the format and also talks about the Onyx runtime. The Onyx runtime is, is kind of where the, the standard meets the, the hardware, right? Uh -huh. uh, it's actually the engine that does the high performance inferencing. Like I mentioned, it's cross-platform, so you can use it in your different applications, whether you're deploying on, on a, like a Linux web service or mm -hmm. you're deploying to a Windows application. The the Onyx runtime is also built into Windows as part of Windows ML, if you've heard mm -hmm. of that. It's deployed on uh, many, many machines, uh, and it's also used extensively, like I mentioned, uh, at the Microsoft services, such as Bing and Office, et cetera. If you're wanting to do high-performance inferencing of machine learning models, you should try out Onyx runtime. Runtime, then, as you mentioned, runs anywhere, which is very appealing. What uh, flavor do I get it in? Is it a Docker container or a library, a DLL? What am I working yeah, with? Yeah, so there's multiple flavors. Uh, whatever uh, flows your boat, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's open source, so of course you can you know, go to GitHub, sure. uh, github.com slash Microsoft slash Onyx Runtime, and get the source and build it yourself. Uh, it's also available as wheels uh, on PyPy, so you can do a pip install Onyx Runtime or pip install Onyx Runtime dash GPU, um, and you'll, you can um, make use of the Python API to load a model and run the inference. Or you can get it as a NuGet package if you're a C-sharp developer and you want to use that. Uh, there's also C APIs and C++ APIs uh, for you to use uh, if you want to incorporate it into your application. We also are publishing Docker container images for use on Azure. Uh, so if you're using Azure ML and you want to deploy uh, your model uh, to the uh, Kubernetes cluster and you want to use Onyx Runtime, there's some pre-built uh, container images for you that have that. The container images come in a couple of flavors. Uh, we have some that are uh, integrated with NVIDIA TensorRT. Uh, 
uh, some that are integrated with uh, Intel, uh, NGraph, and OpenVINO as well. Um, so we've actually partnered with NVIDIA and Intel to integrate these uh, accelerators that they have mm -hmm. into Onyx Runtime. Uh, nice. So the cool thing is Onyx Runtime supports uh, any Onyx model. It supports like the full breadth of the spec. Mm -hmm. um, but we also integrate with the different accelerators from the hardware manufacturers. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get the a full compatibility with the spec, but we also accelerate as much of the model as possible with the capabilities that are available on the hardware. Ah, when the hardware is present. That's right. Very neat. So I can just, uh, do I have to configure that in any way, or is it sort you of? Have to, you have to install that version that has mm -hmm. the appropriate um, uh, software from the hardware manufacturer, but your API doesn't change. Mm -hmm. So when you're calling the inference engine, that API is still the same. It's still the, the load model and, and run uh, the inference session. Okay, so you don't cool. have to worry about um, you know, kind of what the underlying accelerator is. Your program can stay the same, and as long as you just install the, the ver appropriate version, you're good to go. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this discussion and share all your insights. Sure, it's, it's been great being here. Thanks so much for talking to me.